And he said, well, let me, let me just put it this way. Um, if I put my hands on you, you're going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today, we're going spelunking in Carlsbad Caverns National Park. Ah, Carlsbad Caverns, home to a series of at least 120 caves in the Chihuahuan Desert in New Mexico. Some of the areas inside the caverns are easy to walk around in. Some of them are, but other parts require a bit more gear and effort to get into, like rappelling down walls and climbing slippery ladders. But I thought it was all worth it to see these amazing caverns. Well, yeah, if you like to go into dark, scary holes. (laughs) But before we get to our stories about Carlsbad Caverns, we talk about an exciting surprise we got last week and why it's going to require a little extra training this summer. And at the end of the episode, we'll answer a question from a listener in our mailbag segment. Well, we got some surprising news last week. We did. Rather shocking news, actually. It it was shocking. (laughs) After trying for like 10 years in a row, we we won permits to hike the enchantments in central Washington in the Cascade Mountains, this beautiful area with alpine lakes that... It's hard to get a permit because the national forest system limits the number of people who can go up there to, what, about 12, 12 a day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we just put in for a permit expecting to not get one every year. Right, which is what's been happening. And lo and behold, I, I got the email that I, I thought it was a mistake. It said, congratulations. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to say, congratulations, you lost again. Yeah. But yeah, so we, so the two of us and a couple of other couples are going to go up in mm-hmm. in August. Yeah, most likely for three nights, uh, and the the first day hike to get up to where we're going to be camping is is a pretty tough day. I think it's about eight miles on the trail, and like four thousand feet of elevation gain. So it's pretty much straight up. And, of course, we'll be carrying those heavy packs. So you know what that means now. (laughs) No, what does that mean? (laughs) It means it's time to be serious about getting into shape. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Because we have other – we have three other backpacking trips in August. Right. We're hiking the Chilkoot Trail, Mm -hmm. which is also kind of an ass kicker. Mm -hmm. And what else are we doing? Oh, we're attempting Mount St. Helens. Yes. We've gotten permits the last three years and had to cancel because of hurricane force winds and I think like snow snow and Mm -hmm. freezing cold even in August. Mm -hmm. So we're going to try that again. Mm -hmm. And then we have one in the Olympic National Park. Mm -hmm. Royal Basin area. Yeah. So we got four, four kind of permit hikes to do mm-hmm. in one month. So so you better get in shape. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, when people train, you know what the first thing that they have to alter is their diet. <laughs> <laughs> Most training regimens, of course, I've only read this because we've never done this. They say no alcohol, no sugar, and no white flour. So, you know, no bread, no pasta, no pizza, 
So I, I feel like that's what we're going to have to do to get to get ready for this. Fat, sugar, and salt are really the only three things I eat. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Once we clear out our pantry, it's going to be oh, empty. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We're not clearing any pantry. Just, just put all that stuff in my office that you that you want to throw out. I'll save it until after the hikes. Um, I know you will. But uh, yeah, we have to start getting serious about this because carrying those heavy packs, at least for me, is always a bit of a struggle. You know, it's funny because I, I'm always excited to, to do it, to go on these backpacking trips. And then once it's over, I think it's the greatest thing we ever did. But during the time that we're doing it, I'm thinking, why in the world did I sign up for this? Sometimes you cry. I, I have cried. I know. I have cried. So And sometimes you haven't cried when I thought, why why aren't you crying? Because, <laughs> because I should have been crying. <laughs> that one time your your pack was rubbing the sides of your your side so much that you were like bleeding. I and that was like day one of the I hike. I know. I know. So yeah, I made some adjustments on the pack. Uh, apparently, I was, you know, I had the weight distributed incorrectly. So, so you got that worked out. Mm-hmm. Now, I, my training regimen is is going to be I'm going to uh, keep all the excess weight that I have on my body and carry it around all summer, oh. <laughs> and that will be like it'll. <laughs> that's my training because if I can carry that around, that's I, actually I'll, a really great idea because yeah. it's kind of like then you have like a bowling ball strapped to you, sort well, of. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> are we are we gonna now comment on each other's <laughs> shape? <laughs> Let's see what, what would be tra- what would be strapped on you? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm, I was just kidding. <laughs> you want to take that out? You want to edit that out of the warm up part of our podcast? No, it's all good. You're in fine shape. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. No, I'm I'm playing. I'm, I I like myself just the way I am. I like you too. So, but seriously, we we now that we know we're going, we seriously have to make some changes. I know so. you say this every year. <laughs> and it, it gets it gets closer and closer, <laughs> and, and we do nothing. And we do nothing, <laughs> and then you cry, uh-huh. and and then afterwards you say that was the greatest thing uh-huh. that we ever did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So stay tuned. We'll probably be having podcasts about these very hikes. Yeah. <laughs> New episode, Karen. Yay. You're so excited. <laughs> oh, I love this one. <laughs> That's great. Good for you, Karen. I'm, I am glad that I, you're excited. I am excited. You want to tell everyone what we're talking about today? Today, we're going to be talking about Carlsbad Caverns. Which oh, is, is that a national park? Mm-hmm. It's a national park, and it's a cave. They call it a cavern, which is like a, a luxurious name for a cave. <laughs> right. And cave is a luxurious <laughs> name for a hole in the ground. Okay, so Carlsbad Cavern National Park. Where mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. is it? Southeast New Mexico, really, really close to the Texas border. Yeah, and we wrote about this because it's one of the national parks. We wrote about this in Dear Bob and Sue. And we were debating who was going to write this particular email in that first book. And, you know, we never really resolved that argument, did we? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we I, didn't <laughs> because you were going to write the email and yeah, you did, did write, yeah. you did write and it. you didn't like it. 
yes, because when I read it, it seemed very negative for a park that I especially loved yeah. because you didn't love it. So I think I may have suggested to you, if you don't like it, you can write it yourself. <laughs> Which I did. <laughs> That's what you did. And we, we published both. Right, right. So this is the only national park in the book where we have two emails, one from each of us with opposing views about this park. So we'll talk about that today and why I loved it and Matt wasn't quite so crazy about it. I didn't hate it. No, you just don't like caves. I don't like, yeah, I don't like uh, dark, uh, humid basements. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't what it was. No, but, no. Yeah. Cavern. It's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Luxurious cavern. It was a luxurious cavern. So our first visit there was at the end of October. And we stayed in the town of Carlsbad, New Mexico, which is about a 30-minute drive or so from the park. It's not, it's not right adjacent to it. Yeah, this was part of a trip where we uh, went to three parks. We flew into El Paso, and we went to Guadalupe Mountains National Park and then Carlsbad National Park, Carlsbad Caverns National Park, and then drove to Big Bend. And so that's a, a kind of a cool trip, especially if you're flying across the country. Uh, El Paso is a perfect place to go, and then you can hit all three of those parks in several days. Big Bend's a little bit of a drive, maybe four or five hours from mm -hmm. those those parks and, and from El Paso. But that's a good little loop there to see the national parks. And, of course, now you can – you could add uh, White Sands National Park, our, our newest national park to that, and hit four in that little area. And all, all spectacular parks, different in, in their own right – Mm -hmm. Plus, New Mexico has a lot of great national monuments as well. So you could spend weeks in the state going from the north to the south. But but today we're going to focus on Carlsbad. A lot of times when we read about the history of, of these places, uh, it'll say, well, the, the you know the in this particular case, the cave was discovered in 1898. Well, it really wasn't discovered then. It was the, the Native people have known about it for hundreds of years. That's in 1898 was the first time a white European American mm -hmm. uh, first discovered it. Jim White, he was he was young, 16 year old cowboy. He was at um, rounding up cattle one afternoon, late afternoon, and he saw this uh, what he thought was a plume of smoke coming out of the ground. So he went over to see what it was. And it wasn't smoke. It was a swirl of bats coming out of the cave. <laughs> and uh, so it must have been sunset. Right. Or close dusk, dusk mm -hmm. because they come out, the bats come out at, at uh, dusk. But anyway, Jim White was the first uh, white European American to discover the caves. The, mm -hmm. the natives have known about it for hundreds of years. Right. And then the next day, as the story goes, Jim went back with some wood and some wire and he built himself a ladder and he dropped down into the that hole, which ended up being, what, about 70 feet deep? 
Not the first thing that I would think of <laughs> when I found a hole and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of bats coming out of the hole. Mm -hmm. I, this is not the first thing I would think of is, hey, I'm going to build a ladder and go down in that hole. Right, but right. But he did. And he spent years exploring all the cave passageways, and he named a lot of them, and those names are still used today. And he was a big advocate um, for the park for decades. I think he did tours there until the 1940s when he passed away. Now there are about 120 known caves in this system. Which seems like a lot, doesn't it? It seems like a lot, but when we went there 10-plus years ago, or 10 years ago, uh, they, had, they, they said that there was 117 known caves. And I don't think they have fully mapped out everything. They keep discovering mm -hmm. new caves. So it, it, really, it could be uh, much larger than that. Right now, there's 120 known caves. Mm -hmm. Now, there are only three caves that are open for cave tours, and they're all ranger-led tours except for one, which is self-guided. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But the tickets for these ranger-led tours are available in advance on recreation.gov, and we'd highly recommend if you're planning a, a visit to the park, that you get online and book these cave tours as early as possible because they do sell out. So when we knew that we were going to be visiting, we booked tickets for what, what's called the King's Palace Tour, which is a 90-minute tour in the main cave. The main cave is called Carlsbad Caverns. So we were excited to do the King's Palace Tour. Um, you were you were excited about it. I was I was going along because I knew uh, <laughs> you, one, one it was a national park, and so mm -hmm. we had to go. I wanted to hike on the mm -hmm. surface area. I like I like the tops of the cave parks, but anyway, You're right, um, right. And so when we got to the uh, visitor center, we found out that there's two ways to get down into the cave. Mm -hmm. uh, thankfully, the one way is there's an elevator that goes down, and how far does it go down? Uh, it's a 60-second elevator ride, which I believe it goes down about 75 feet. 750 feet? <laughs> so you think it goes down about 750 feet, takes 60 seconds? Mm -hmm. and That's that's a pretty fast elevator. It is a fast elevator. Although it does seem like it's out of service a lot, <laughs> in which case. Sometimes it's, it's out of service. Sometimes it just has to have maintenance. The other mm -hmm. way to get into the cave if the elevator is not working or you just, you just want to extra – uh, exercise is to go through the natural entrance, and there's a trail through the natural entrance that's about 1.3 miles long, and then it it has a 750 foot descent. Mm -hmm. So going down is is not too strenuous. C coming back out is is a little bit different situation. Yeah, yeah, because it's all uphill. Yeah, but that first trip we went down the elevator, and you get you get off the elevator, and surprised to see. There's uh, like a snack bar <laughs> and uh, bathrooms. I know. It was a lot different than I had pictured in my mind. I, I thought it would be more cave-like and dark, and I thought the ceiling would be low. And I was actually expecting to be a little bit claustrophobic down there. But once the elevator opened and we stepped out, and it, it seemed more commercial than I thought. Yeah, it's, it certainly um, can accommodate a lot of people, and it's, it's mm -hmm. comfortable down there. I did. Mm -hmm. Does it? Um, were you curious at all about the bathrooms down there? Like, like where does it go? I know exactly. Because I know there were flush toilets. We, we came seven hundred and fifty feet down, and now there's a urinal. 
<laughs> so where, where where is that going? Where is that going? I, I'm yeah. just curious. The other thing that was surprising was the snack bar seemed very odd to be down in a cave. And our ranger had told us later that they used to, in the 50s, they used to fry up chicken in that snack bar. And th- there was no ventilation down there. So literally, you could still see layers of grease on the cave ceiling above where they used to fry chicken and hamburgers for people. So they're, they're not frying food anymore. But, you know, there's still a snack bar down there, which is kind of odd. It's it's pretty comfortable in there. Um, it's it's about, cool, though. It's 56 degrees. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little bit humid. Uh it, obviously, that's that's very comfortable if you're coming from 100 degrees outside. But 56 degrees, you probably need a light jacket. Right. Definitely, I would say, for sure. Yeah. Once we got down there, we met up with our tour group. And then we met our ranger, who was going to be our guide. His name was James. And he was a very enthusiastic young man who told us that his both his father and his grandfather had worked at Carlsbad Caverns, and he was following in their footsteps. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, he had a. He was very enthusiastic. He he did what uh, most park rangers did back then. I mean, maybe the Park Service is still doing that, but uh, w- when he gave the tour, he gave us lots of great information and taught us about things. But all of his question, every time somebody had a question, he would answer them with a question. You hate that. Yeah. So <laughs> what's the name of this formation? Well, what do you think this the name of this formation might be? And so every every uh, every piece of information was a guessing game, which is great. Maybe that's a, also a, a way to eat up some time when you're on a tour. But mm. he also was uh, – he wanted us not only to teach us the technical terms, but made sure that we would repeat them. Mm-hmm. So we had to. I think we had to say speleothem many, many times. We did, and yeah. soda straw and stalagmite. Although you were a good sport, because I looked over and you were repeating them. Yeah. Well, the guy. I, I wanted to be on his good side because <laughs> we were eight hundred feet underground in a dark cave, and he. About halfway through the tour, he was the only one who knew the way out. <laughs> so if he wants me to say. <laughs> Stalactite ten times. I I will if he <laughs> promises to get me out of the hole. To get you out. So we were down in this hole with James for about ninety minutes. That's how long the tour is, and it takes the King's Palace tour takes you through four highly decorated chambers. and And there's a reason that they named it King's Palace. It was. I, I can't even describe it. It, it was this. Um, well, it's a podcast, so you'll have to okay. describe it. Use so, your hands. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was like this frosty fairyland. You know, like it was a fantasy world that shimmered and sparkled and glittered and glowed. How's that? I think um, you were in a different hole than no, I was. Oh, it was incredible. And every chamber that he took us to was more elaborate than the one before. Yeah, it was very elaborate. Uh huh. Yeah. It was. You 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 really like caves, don't you? Well, yeah. And here's the thing, too. That was the first time in my entire life I had ever been in a cave at 50 years old. So I had no idea what to expect. I was expecting a cave, just, you know, brown walls, rock. This was just 
incredible. And it was like a, like being in a science fiction movie with the greatest special effects that you could ever imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'll be enthusiastic for both of us. But at one point, uh, James had us all sit down and he went and turned off the lights because he wanted us to see what total darkness in the cave looked like. Well, we also sat in silence. Mm. Silence and And darkness. My favorite part of the whole (laughs) tour is sitting there in silence and complete darkness. I think I took a really short nap. <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> it's a really good nap though because it was completely dark. And that was and your favorite silent. part. Mm. And it was 56 okay. degrees. Yeah. Gotcha. But his point was that there is absolutely no light down there. So even once your eyes adjust to the light, since there is no light, you could hold your hand right in front of your face and you cannot see a single thing. So it's a little freaky to think about those early cave explorers who were down there with a torch you know, and if those if those had gone out, they you would be lost forever. You you couldn't take a step. Well, an interesting thing about we talked about Jim White being the first uh, one of the first people to explore the cave. What he did was he would take string with him, and so he would uh, tie the string outside the cave, and he had a series of string guides, if if you will, mm-hmm. uh, throughout the, the cave system. And every time he would go into a different cave, he would create a different string system. So he he probably, at I got to believe, at one time he was in there and his lantern went out. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. he, it probably took him like a, you know, six hours to find his way out. And he probably said from the, that's never going to happen again. I'm going to leave string. And so he had this uh, elaborate uh, system of strings just in case he had to. That was the only way to find his, his way out. And the Park Service says that uh, still to this day, I think this is correct, that there are times when they're exploring these caves, they'll still find pieces of his string. I know. Isn't that so cool? That's cool. From over 100 years ago. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, so uh, we didn't not we didn't have any string. Uh, I think James <laughs> told us like after he turned the lights back on that he carries uh, something like six different flashlights with him. Even you know because you never know what mm-hmm. what if something happens to you know a car takes out the light pole you know three miles down the road and the cave goes dark. Um, yeah, and he's trapped down there with with twenty five people, panicked right. people. I, I now mm-hmm. always have at least a couple of flashlights because we've mm-hmm. been to other caves like Wind Cave National Park and mm-hmm. Mammoth Cave. I always have at least a couple of flashlights. I'm not I'm not going to rely on anyone else to get me out of there. <laughs> no. So this was it was a great tour. It's very accessible. Uh, there were some kids on the tour. There's no crawling or shimmying or squeezing. So it, it's really a great tour for pretty much anybody. And when we were finished. We went and we looked at the only tour that is self-guiding, and that's called the Big Room, which is adjacent to King's Palace, so we didn't have to go very far. Um, Now, the Big Room was about, I don't know, it took us maybe an hour to walk through the whole thing and take a look at it. It is, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's big, and that's actually a good spot for families if you have small kids it's a it's a path it's a safe mm-hmm. path it mm-hmm. uh 
you know, anywhere where there's danger of somebody, you know, falling off the trail, there's uh, protective, you know, guardrails or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's something. And it's, and it's well lit in the different uh, rock formations that are, that are spectacular. They're, they're lit well. They've done a good job of going in and, and creating dramatic lighting. Oh, fantastic job. Yeah. And so it's not just, you know, a, a bare bulb shining on the different rock formations. They've, they really did a good job of, of doing the dramatic lighting. So we wandered by different formations, and they like to name their formations there. So uh, there was one I remember called the Bottomless Pit, uh, something called the Giant Dome, the Rock of Ages, and the Painted Grotto. Those are standing out in my mind. But I think was the Giant Dome. Is that the one that looked like a nipple that you were taking photos of? I well, I wasn't. I was taking photos of everything, and then you 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 accused me of just taking photos of the nipple because it just happened to be on the trail. And you said it looked like a nipple. It well, it does. Like I, it's, it looks like a nipple because it looks like a nipple. It's not my. I didn't, I didn't cause that to happen. So I can't be blamed. I'm taking pictures of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were particularly interested in one rock formation. Mm-hmm. They made the mistake of putting the trail a little too close to that that <laughs> rock formation? There was one that was white, bright white, and it was really shiny. And I couldn't tell if it was shiny because it was wet, because there was a lot of humidity in there, or if it was shiny because it was like polished rock. But I really wanted just to touch it briefly to see if it was wet. And I told you not to, because there's phones down there. There's phones every so many yards where... Phones Emer- hanging on the wall. Emergency phones. Mm-hmm. And it says on the side of the case, if you see anyone doing something they're not supposed to be doing down there, you just pick up the phone and dial 3030. So I was going to 3030 you. <laughs> said, don't do it. <laughs> and then you held your finger really close to it like a, like a small child <laughs> saying, I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. Okay. I touched it for a nanosecond. And then I felt really bad about it. It, it was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. And I apologize profusely to it's you. The only and- reason, the, the showing of remorse was the only reason I didn't 30-30 you. <laughs> and we wrote about this in the book. And we got so many negative comments. I this know. Is, uh, we're People dis- hated me for that. Disrespectful mm-hmm. of the parks. Yes, we, I disrespected. We could have just like, left it out. I know. But I know. We're trying to we're trying to be... Authentic, mm-hmm. but really, everyone should not do what I did, and should not. There's be a lot touching. of things that you do. That <laughs> yeah, we're not going to we're not going to start down let's that. Let's do a path whole right podcast <laughs> of stuff. Don't do this. Don't yeah. be Karen. But it's crazy because they didn't always protect the park as well as they do now. The Ranger James told us that. Back in the olden days, they used to let olden days. They used to let visitors break off pieces of the yeah, that's crazy stalactites and stalagmites and take them home with them as souvenirs. Yeah, well, yeah, back in 1955, until 1955, you could smoke down there. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, like you said, they used to fry chicken and uh-huh. hamburgers down there, and yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's a very different. Uh, protective environment now. 
as, as it should be. Absolutely. So after we had wandered the entirety of the big room, we took the elevator back up and we had lunch. There's a restaurant upstairs on the main floor. So the main floor has the visitor center, the ticket booths where you pick up your tickets. They have a really nice gift shop and they have a restaurant. It's it's a pretty big area up there. So we had lunch and then we were kind of at a loss as of what to do. So I suggested that we go and hike down the natural cave entrance and go back down into the cave. And I'm glad we did that because the natural entrance trail, you see all sorts of stuff that you don't see in the big room. So oh, it, yeah. it, was, it was. It's beautiful. Yeah, it, was, it was fine. Uh, and it was it was nice to, to get a walk. Uh, back in the early days, I guess you would call them the olden days, uh, <laughs> they would what? They would lower visitors down in bat guano. Carts? Yes, buckets. Buckets. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which if, the the if, guano was no longer in it, right? Right. Which if your Spanish is a little rusty, guano means shit. <laughs> yes. Okay. We're bat shit have buckets. To put like the R rating now on mm-hmm. our podcast. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if we mentioned it earlier. So the, the hike down the natural entrance is about almost a mile and, and a half down. And uh, again, you go by some incredible formations, things called the um, Devil Spring and Green Lake Overlook, the Boneyard, which is this sort of massive section of dissolved limestone that looks like Swiss cheese. And then my favorite was that huge iceberg rock, which was a 200,000-ton boulder that had fallen from the ceiling. That's what I like to see. I like to see the the things that have fallen from the ceiling when I'm <laughs> when I'm down there. <laughs> Makes you feel really secure, yeah, and doesn't then run. it? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what we didn't see on that hike down, and no one sees, is the bat cave. Right. Mm-hmm. I, there are a couple of areas where the bats live, and the park service doesn't allow visitors to go back in there. Right, uh, for if, good reason. If you know where they are as you walk past them, you kind of know. A ranger told us this. Mm-hmm. That's that's where they they are, but uh, you can't you can't see the bats. And I, and I don't ever remember seeing any bats in the cave at all. Oh no. Um, I think it does happen that there's a lone bat flying around sometimes, but uh, we didn't see any. No, no. And when we were finished, so we, we hiked back down and took the elevator back up again. And, you know, then it was only 2.30 and the rangers were trying to talk us into staying for what they call the bat flight program, which is at dusk. And in late October when we were there, dusk was about 5.30 at the time. But we were, as we were getting the description of the bat flight program, the ranger told us, she said, now, we're not 100% sure – first of all, we're not 100% sure any given night of the year that the bats will come out, but especially in the fall because at some point in time, they migrate. Mm-hmm. They migrate south. And she said, well, they, you know, they were here a couple nights ago, but they could be gone. And so we didn't want to spend several hours sitting in the amphitheater wait, waiting wait. for bats that might not – there. Right. So we figured that we would hopefully catch the bat flight program on another visit because I was sure that I would want to come back to this park, although I don't think you were quite so sure. Well, 
the thing that like dampened my enthusiasm was the names of all the cave tours that <laughs> they offer that you wanted to come back mm-hmm. and do. Like, right. It was like poison spider cave. And so as we mentioned put at the your scrotum be- in a vice cave. Or? No, that's the one you made up. Uh, I see. There are three caves that can be explored. Um, by the public, and one of them is obviously the the large Carlsbad Caverns Cave, but the other two that have tours are called Spider Cave, not Poison not, Spider. Oh, so it's not poisonous? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, well, they uh, might be. Uh, they, I'm in. Yeah. yeah, okay. And then the other one is called Slaughter Canyon Cave, oh, yeah. which is another really yeah. great name. <laughs> okay, so but no, no spiders in the Slaughter Slaughter Cave. I don't know okay. what's down there. I don't know where that name come came from, yeah. but it they, need, they need help with their marketing. They do. Yeah. They do. Yeah, we could probably come up with some better names. Yeah, but. like like what's that crawling on your neck cave? <laughs> and are you sure you want to do this cave? <laughs> I could help them out with some cave names. Yeah, because they keep finding new caves. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. The Walking Dead Cave. <laughs> I. So, so if the, you got a million if the, of them. Anyone at the National Park Service is listening to this, mm-hmm. let, let me yeah. know. I can contact help, Matt. Help them with the marketing. Sure. Right. So I actually didn't think that I would probably ever get to go back to Carlsbad Caverns with my husband, <laughs> with you. But lo and behold, seven years later, we planned a trip to New Mexico with our friends, John and Lolly. And we were we were hitting all the national parks and some monuments. And of course, they wanted to see Carlsbad Caverns. Yeah, I think you talked them into it. Well, I may have. I think you shoehorned that, that stop into our itinerary. <laughs> and they, they went along with it. Mm-hmm. They were enthusiastic. And actually, so were you once I mentioned it. But so as we were planning the trip a couple months ahead, I, I got on recreation.gov to look up the cave tours and see. And there were actually a few more available. New ones? New ones, yeah. So as I was going down the list, so the first one was King's Palace. Obviously, we'd already done that. So that was crossed off. The um, The next one was called the Left Hand Tunnel. And the way that one was described was they said it is very dimly lit and they do it like they did in the olden days where they give the tour goers lanterns to carry. So I kind of figured with the whole dimly lit basement thing you had going on that that was going to be a no. Maybe not. Yeah. So I crossed that one off the list. So then the next one was Spider Cave. Already knew that was no. a no. Next one was Slaughter Canyon Cave. Mm-hmm. Nope. Then the next one was called the Hall of the White Giant. But the very first descriptive sentence was... Dirty, belly crawling, squeezing through tight passages, and climbing slippery vertical rock. I yeah, I, I don't do anything that involves my belly, <laughs> especially my belly on the ground. I think Why? anything that's belly crawling is an that? automatic no. No, I'm not I know. doing that. Right, I can right. Do that at home. So all of those, I had to nix all of those, but thank goodness the very last one is called the Lower Cave Tour. And now it is rated difficult uh, because it requires that you descend 15 feet on a rope. So basically you're rappelling down, and then after that you're descending another 50 feet on a series of three ladders. So, but anyway, I showed it to you and you said, 
let's do it. Yeah, and the lower cave, they could have it could have been named the Poison Spider Cave like the week before, and they just changed the name. <laughs> and now I'm ready to do it. I know right? it's it, all in the name, yes, right? Yeah, I, it's all. Matter in the of fact, name. I'm not even sure it was called the Lower Cave. It could have been. Yeah, the certain death cave that. <laughs> And you just told me it was called Lower Lower Cave. Right. I just changed the name myself. But um, the other thing about this cave that was different from our other uh, tour was that this one has no electricity down there. So as part of the tour, the rangers provide each person with a headlamp so that there's some light as as you go. Yeah. So on this on this trip with John and Lolly. We got to Carlsbad, uh, the, the town of Carlsbad. We checked into our hotel uh, mid-afternoon. Mm-hmm. And we we made sure we got to Carlsbad early enough in the day so that we could get to the park uh, in time for the bat flight program. Right. We were splitting it up into two days. So we did the, the bat flight program the evening before our cave tour the next day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So we got to the amphitheater in plenty of time. I'd say it was probably a good hour before dusk. Yeah, and the amphitheater is an area right by the natural entrance that they built years ago. As we've said, the bats come out of the natural entrance, and so they created an area where visitors can sit and watch it, but it's far enough away from the natural entrance that it doesn't disturb the bats. And so it's it's a great little area to uh, to watch the bat flight program. So mm-hmm. that's what the amphitheater is. Mm-hmm. And they say there are between 200 and 500,000 bats that live in the cave. And I guess when they all come out at once in this giant swirl, it looks sort of like a tornado coming out. So I I had really high hopes and I had my camera out and I thought I'm going to get this most amazing video. Right. We're we're there (laughs) a little bit before dusk. Matter of fact, it was probably way before dusk. It seemed, seemed like it took a long time. Uh, and we had our cameras out. Everyone else had their cameras out, ready to, to get a video of the spectacular event. One guy had a 360-degree uh, video device. He was going to get, uh, you know, the, the video of the thing from all angles. And so the amphitheater starts getting crowded. And you know, 15, 20 minutes before dusk, the ranger, mm-hmm. who's going to be our guide for the evening, uh, comes down and. He, he comes down to the, the bottom of the amphitheater and introduces himself. And the first thing he tells us is, like, all these cameras here that people have set up right, right here right here on the eggs of the amphitheater to catch it, You got everybody's got to come claim their cameras because we can't have any kind of electronic device whatsoever on. Mm-hmm. We can't videotape this. You can't do uh, photos. You can't even uh, – have your phones on. Right. He, he, he was made, adamant about that. Like, we got to make sure they're all turned off. And it makes sense when you think about it. Bats can hear sounds that humans can't. And electronic devices are, you know, depending on the devices, are putting out sounds that we can't hear. And even something as subtle as a motor on an autofocus lens uh, focusing on an object could disturb the bats. So he said, all electronic devices need to be turned off. Mm-hmm. And so he gave us he gave us a little bit of time to do that. He was very nice about it. Um, but then he then he paused and he he 
told us a little bit about um, what we would see. And then he said, uh, uh, now I noticed that, that a few people still have their phones out. And I just have to let you know that we're serious about the, putting the phones away. And uh, so he goes on to tell us about the different types of rangers there are. There's interpretive rangers that talk about the park and the natural history and and all of those things. And he goes, but I'm, I'm a different kind of ranger. You might notice that I have a gun. I'm wearing a gun because I'm, I'm a law enforcement ranger. And so that means I'm also a, a police officer and I'm here to protect the park and the visitors and everything in the park, the animals, the plants. And so that's, that's my mandate, but I'm also doing the, the, the talk tonight. And so sometimes I have visitors that that don't want to comply with the rule to turn off their phones or not take pictures. And I, I got to tell you, I, I can might have to give you a fine or write a ticket. Or in some cases, I've had visitors that are belligerent and just say, I'm, I'm not going to turn off my phone and I'm going to take pictures anyway. And he said, well, let me, let me just put it this way. Um, if I put my hands on you, you're going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> And he was nice about it, but when John and I heard that, we thought that was that's that's the greatest line I think I've ever heard. I know you guys country. loved that, and then you kept repeating it for pretty much the rest of the trip. Yeah, and even we still to this do. day, yeah. I know, even to this well, day. Well, we have to remind you: if I, <laughs> if I put my hands on you, you're going to jail. And I know you guys were like in awe of that ranger. I then, do, yeah, uh -huh. I do. I want to become a law enforcement I ranger know. now. He was like your so hero. I can say stuff like that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, even when I'm home and it's just you and me. Like I'm still a law enforcement ranger, so I can, <laughs> can still lay down the law. Yeah, good luck with I, I, that. Yeah, that'll I'll go put over you well. In jail. <laughs> <laughs> so after he was done talking, you know, it got pretty good and dark, and and sure enough, we saw the first few bats trickling out. Uh, you could just make them out in the dusk, and. So there would be about a dozen at a time, and, and I kept waiting for the for the big, huge, massive swirl, and it never came. There were, I mean, we saw bats come out, but again, there were probably a few dozen at a time, stretched out over maybe 15 minutes or so. Maybe longer than that. It was, I would say it's a, it was a low bat night. Yeah, we, definitely. It wasn't a complete dud. Um, right. But, and that, that happened, so just... Setting expectations for anyone who goes there, because we know that we do this, too. Sometimes you schedule these visits to the park and you're there one day and one day only because you have lots of stuff going on the mm -hmm. days before and the days after. And this is your only time. And it's not a guarantee right. that you're going to get the big dramatic swirl. The other thing to keep in mind is they do come out. It's it's kind of dark. Mm -hmm. And so. There's a point in time when I think they're still coming out. You can kind of hear them, but you can't see them. So it, it is a fairly short window of time when you can see the bats. And, and if you've ever been there and you've had the experience of seeing the whole swirl, then, then you're probably pretty lucky because that doesn't happen all the time. Mm -hmm. But it was still cool. To, oh, yeah. To, no, I'm, I'm really glad we, we went and, yeah. and saw that. Then when it was pretty much over and the crowd had cleared out, we went back to the parking lot at the visitor center there and we moved our car to the very end of the parking lot because we thought we would just sit out there for an hour or two and, and wait for the stars to come out. You know, it's so dark there up in the park. Uh, that we figured it would be pretty good stargazing. And it, and it was. Mm -hmm. uh, the it four was. of us just hung out in the parking lot, uh, mm -hmm. maybe 
a half an hour or so after we had set up down at the very end of the parking lot away from everyone. And I think all the all the cars had gone. Oh, we, yeah. We it, was, all, we, it was empty because we it was the closed. only ones yeah. left there. We see headlights approaching us. <laughs> and, and it's the park ranger cruiser. It's the law enforcement ranger. Mm, our friend. So he came down and he was very nice. He goes, I'm just – I'm just checking to make sure no one's camping in the park. He, he said, you guys can stay here and watch the stars as long as you want. You can stay here all night if you want. But if you fall asleep, you're a camper. And we can't have any campers. So that was fine. And, and it was good to, good information to have. Uh, he was just checking on us. And then he, he stuck around for a long, long time, like half an hour, telling us stories about the park stories about his uh, experience in other parks, being a law enforcement ranger. So, um, despite his, if I lay my hands <laughs> on you, you're going to jail. Line, which which I still think is the best line I've ever heard from a park ranger. He was he was very uh, nice and and respectful, and and uh, we thanked him for his for his service. Mm -hmm. He was so, a great guy. Yeah, we, we had a good experience with mm -hmm. him. Right. So the next day we get there for our uh, 10 o'clock lower cave tour. Uh, now, for this particular tour, they only allow 12 people, and there are two rangers. So we met up with our group and with our two rangers who were Lacey and Jim. And they issue, because as I had said earlier, there is no electricity down there, they issue everyone a headlamp and a pair of gloves also. And actually, the headlamp is attached to a hard hat helmet. So on this particular morning, the elevator was out of service. So uh, they told us that we would have to walk down the natural entrance, which added about, I don't know, maybe half an hour to to the tour. Uh, but it was actually kind of interesting because we were going down with the rangers and they pointed out a lot of really cool things that we had missed or didn't know about on the first time we went down. Yeah. And so we ended up uh, by the time, we, you know, get all the way down there, we're now in the big room. And so they, they take us to along the trail, they take us to this one area and they just they lift the ropes and let us go back <laughs> yeah. behind, you know, where you're not supposed to go. And that was the start of the lower cave tour. So it was, it was uh, all the other visitors were looking at us like, well, why do they get to go behind Exactly. So right off the bat is the 15-foot rappel. And I, I got to say, I was nervous about that because I've never rappelled before. And, you know, I don't, I, I sort of have a fear of heights. So I was really nervous to do that. But they, Lacey walked us through it and, and Jim demonstrated how you, you are actually walking backwards down this slope while hanging onto the rope and leaning out at what about a forty-five degree angle or so? Right, and it wasn't it wasn't super difficult once we did it. And if you've never repelled before, it takes a, a little bit of getting used to and trusting the rope. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I I think we could have like slid on our butts down the rock, but there was there was another purpose for repelling down they they were they were teaching us one they were teaching us the uh when you start repelling you say on rope and then you repelled back down and when you get to the bottom you say off rope so they were teaching us that mm -hmm. to communicate because it would be dangerous for two people to be on the rope at once and so um that was one thing. Mm -hmm. And so we all we all did the rappel. Yeah, all, all 12 people made it just fine. And, and shortly after that, we came to a series of ladders. Right. And that was actually 
a little scarier for me than the rappel, as it turned out. <laughs> yeah, the way I remember it, there were a couple of short ladders, and the last one was was pretty long. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't you couldn't see the bottom. So the, the the point I was making earlier is when you get on the ladders, you do the same thing on ladder one, off ladder one. So they were they were training us to right. make sure uh, we were being safe because you don't you certainly don't want two people on a ladder at the same time because like you said you can't really see where you're going and if if somebody's below you and you're stepping on them that would be a bad thing right so just imagine i mean it, it's pitch black in there except for your whatever your headlamp happens to be shining on so it's not great visibility and as i was going down the series of three ladders so there's steel ladders and there was so much humidity in the in the cave that they were wet and I thought they were slippery and my feet kept slipping off of the rungs as I was descending, which freaked me out a little bit. A little bit, Mm -hmm. um, enough that it really made you pay attention. Right, right. And they're straight up and down vertical. These aren't ladders that are leaning. Now, the good news is they're bolted to the cave wall. So, you know, they're not going to... They're not going anywhere. The ladders aren't going to fall. The person might fall, but the ladders aren't going anywhere. So I I thought that was a little scary, but... Again, we all made it just fine. Um, and then once we were down there, you know, the rest of it was easy. So when we got off the ladders, they took us on a little tour of the lower cave. And there was uh, there was a path, not, not as mm-hmm. well-defined as in like the big room, that went by some rock formations. And, and with all of us, our headlamps, we, we, were, we were able to light up the rock formations and, and see what we were looking at. Lots of pools of water, lots of crazy colors, you know, these big stones that would be purple and orange. And it was, you know, we went through a lot of different chambers and it was, again, quite spectacular to see all of these rock formations and stalactites and stalagmites. And and maybe, what, 20 minutes into the tour, we're back looking at this uh, neat rock formation and Jim turns to Lacey and asks, uh, well, should we let them go see it? <laughs> and we didn't know what they were talking about. And Lacey said, yeah, I was checking them out. I, I think uh, I think we're good. And what, what they were going to show us was a special rock formation called the Texas Toothpick. And it, it was in an area that only uh, – it wasn't very big, so we had to split up into two groups. So there's 12 – 12 visitors and two rangers. So we split up in two groups and they would take us back to this little area. And uh, the Texas toothpick is this huge stalactite coming down from the ceiling. And it's pretty delicate and the the trail goes right past it. So when you're walking past it, you kind of have to kind of scooch sideways around Mm -hmm. it. And they don't want anyone slipping or being unstable and falling and grabbing this thing because who, who knows it might you know it might come off and break off and that would be a, a terrible thing and so what Jim and Lacey were talking about earlier is when we were rappelling and when we were coming down the ladders they were assessing us it was a test mm-hmm. and they were determining how stable we were how basically how in control we were <laughs> and Lacey said, yeah, Jim, I think we're okay. There's no baby giraffes in the group. And what she meant was, you know, when a, a giraffe is, is newborn, it, 
wobbles around on its long skinny legs and bumps into things. And hmm. so she and Jim decided that there were no baby giraffes in our group. And, Which was kind of surprising because yeah. I would have pegged myself for a baby giraffe at that point. Well, yeah, I, th- I thought you did fantastic on the repelling, even better than me. So I, I, I could see why they would let us. So we went back there. I think we were with Lacey on our trip back to the Texas toothpick. And also back there, which, which I thought was even more interesting, is the area where the original visitors would come into the cave. And it's this basically shaft that goes way, way, way up to the outside. And they had this rickety old wire and stick ladder that people used to descend oh, yeah. to come into the park. And like, I don't even know how long that ladder is, but it is like treacherous. Oh my gosh, it was twisting <clears throat> in the wind. It, it looked so sketchy. You know, I think people were a lot hardier back then than we are now. Yes, they were they were much hardier. They there was they, they weren't looking for baby giraffes back then. They're no, just, I, I would pay never. Pay your nickel, you get to go in the hole. <laughs> they would, said like women would go down in like in high heels and, and dresses stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, I know it's crazy when you think about it. So it was it was interesting to see that and we have uh, a good picture of that because they have a, a piece of that original ladder mm-hmm. still hanging, still there, hanging just there, so so that people can see what it was like. And so we'll put a we'll put that picture on our on the show notes section of our website. Right, right. Along with along with a lot of others. So after that, we went to this cave pool, and they were showing us. Um, these beautiful little formations that they call cave pearls, which look a lot like pearls. They're a little little larger and a little flatter, but they were scattered throughout um, throughout the water in this in this pool. And these pearls are basically just accumulation of the minerals in the water start to accumulate around some some impurity in the water, and just like a regular pearl, and they they build up. There's just a little teeny tiny bit of current in the in the water that's down there. And the minerals will build up and create these little like marble shaped things. And, and it takes hundreds of years to create a cave pearl, mm-hmm. which the only reason I bring that up is, it, again, they used to let visitors like take these. I know. Isn't as that souvenirs. crazy? I know. I wonder how many used to be there uh, as, as compared to now. Yeah, that would that would be kind of cool if you could find a Mm-hmm. original cave pearl at some antique store to see yeah. it, like yeah. repatriate it take it back to the to the park any anyway so uh, there were other things in the water mm-hmm. as well yes in fact jim with his uh, flashlight pointed out a cricket and and told us a really interesting story <laughs> yeah there's crickets down there they they don't live in the water they drink the water but they don't they don't live in the water and and matter of fact if the cricket for some reason falls in the water they they would die they just they can't survive in the water there's also he pointed his flashlight to he says he said see these little like things that look like a long piece of hair they kind of look like a a piece of hair from a a paintbrush those are uh called horsehair worms because uh they look like a, a hair off of a horse and he said now the horsehair worm needs some help to survive down here. 
And so he tells us this story of the horsehair worm lays its eggs in the water. And then the cave crickets, unknowing that there are little teeny tiny microscopic um, eggs, horsehair worm eggs in the water, they drink the water. And of course, now the eggs are in the cricket's stomach and they live in there for a while. Mm. And after a while, (laughs) these little tiny cave cricket eggs, um, uh, horsehair worm eggs or whatever they are at that point in time in the cricket's stomach, decide they want to come out. (laughs) (laughs) And instead of just like coming out the way they came, uh, the, the eggs like put out an enzyme that affect the cricket's brain. And it's basically telling the cricket they should jump in the water. <laughs> it's so bizarre. I can't even believe it. So even though the cricket will die if it jumps in the water. So the cricket jumps in the water. And at that point, the eggs, like, make their way out of the cricket, kind of like, you know, alien style from the movie <laughs> Alien. And that's how they become. Then they, they're in the water and they become worms. And so I, I really uh, like that story since <laughs> – um, I like caves to begin with. <laughs> I think when he was done telling that, you you looked a little green like, by the light well, of my headlamp. Just, You're, you yeah, were. <laughs> I, I'm going out on my own. I'll see you guys. I got six flashlights. I'll find my own way out. That's right. I'm going to repel myself right back I, I was done with the tour at that point. Yeah. Fortunately, it was almost over at that point. But we, um, we did the same thing that we did in the King's Palace tour, that Lacey had us all sit down and have a moment of silence and turn off all of our headlamps so we could again sit in absolute darkness and, and get a sense of that. I think you were making cricket sounds in, <laughs> in the darkness. I was trying to freak you if out. You a were like, bit. if you had touched my knee at that mo- moment, I would have probably mm-hmm. passed out. I know. I think you would have. But when when we were finished with that little exercise, she had us turn our headlamps back on, and she said. Um, I'll just never forget this. She said, you know, I want to thank you all for coming on the tour. I I sure hope you enjoyed it. And I really hope that you love this cave as much as I do. But if you don't, that's okay. She said the National Park Service has hundreds of sites for people ranging from mountains to grasslands to scenic rivers to historic battlefields. She said, just find the park that speaks to you. Yeah, that was a great uh, little speech that Lacey gives in, like, you cry every time I you know, say I do. Yeah. I don't know why that chokes yeah, me up. I don't I either. Think just, I cry every I, time I tell a horsehair worm I story, <laughs> even if I'm by myself. <laughs> I think that just the way she said it was so much heartfelt passion and she really loves that park. And I don't know, I just felt like it was, um, I just thought it was really touching. And it does make me cry every time I say that. Anyway, that was our uh, that was our cave tour in the lower cave. Our Carlsbad Cavern mm-hmm. experience. I would still like to go back again. What would you like to do? So there's one more cave that it would be my dream to see. Have you ever heard of the Lechuguilla Cave? What What does that mean in English? <laughs> does that mean like you know oh, there, something does, that will bite you on the head? Cave? Doesn't it mean like milk? <laughs> I don't. Know. I don't know. <laughs> I Our think Spanish it's, I think it's is a little rusty. Horsehair worm cave. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe so. So the Lechukia Cave was, I mean, it was known from the early 1900s because there was a mining claim on it. But back then, there were only 400 feet of passageways that could be explored. And then there were, it was blocked by rockfall. So no one ever thought anything of it until about 1984 when some cavers from Colorado got permission from the National Park Service to explore the cave. So they went down there and they could sense that there was wind coming out. So they started moving the the blockages and they discovered one of the most amazing caves on the planet. So this was in 1986 and ever since they've been exploring the cave. I guess it's massive, it's incredible. There are things down there that they have never seen any place else. So I'd really like to go, but there are two things that are preventing me from going. <laughs> yeah, and, and what are they? <laughs> well, the first one is you have to repel down a big old hole. Like I think it's about it's not 15 feet. I think it's like 100 feet. You could do that. Uh, I don't know. That would be, but it, it doesn't really matter if I could because the public is not allowed in the cave. Oh, it's okay. only right now, anyway. It's only for researchers and scientists. So I don't know. I You're it would become a scientist. Uh, it would almost be worth it, wouldn't it? How long do you think it would take me to? Uh, <laughs> it would take a while. <laughs> you well, could do it. I, I could do it longer than repelling down into the cave. To go down and see this cave, National Geographic magazine published an article about this gosh, maybe 20 years ago that I saw, the pictures are phenomenal. If you ever have a chance to look that issue up, or actually there are photos online, but anyway. Maybe they'll open it to the public someday. Maybe they will, and and I'll be first on the list. Yeah, good. Put your put in your application now. And you're going with me. Is that right? Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I always, I'm always the one that uh, announces it's the mailbag section. Karen. It's because you're really good at it. I just <laughs> like the way you say that. I am always excited about because uh, I, I never know what the question is going to be. It's, you, it's a you choose the questions. I do, and I don't ever tell you ahead of time. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, what is mm-hmm. our question today? We got an email from a woman named Betsy, and I'm just going to read her question. How do you guys decide where to go? Does Karen get a pick and then Matt, or is it usually a mutual decision? Since my husband and I are both working, it's hard to choose because I want to go to all the places, and we just don't get enough vacation time to make it all happen. Then, of course, there are family obligations or travel that detract from our time as well. That, so sounds, who, that, that sounds like a, a marriage advice question. Well, it kind of is, <laughs> it I kinda think. kind of is. I kind of I got some marriage advice for you. <laughs> To Betsy's husband, <laughs> just give up now. <laughs> the sooner yes, you give up, I agree. The easier your life is going to be. That is our advice for today. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> it took me about thirty years. I don't know. I think I think you just wore me out. Mm-hmm. So the the way we decide is Karen decides and I go along. It's a that's about ninety percent of the time. Although right. the reason. For that, in all seriousness, is you do a fantastic job of doing the research and finding interesting places to go. And uh, I, from time to time, I do have things. Maybe you're just ahead of me, 
and you always have a, a good list. And so I, I don't feel like I ever have to do any research because we already have a good list um, for the future. But uh, yeah, you do most of the research. I do. And, and fortunately, we, we like the same things mostly except for caves. Uh, but I think, Betsy, that it is about compromise. And I think my advice would be let your husband plan a trip and then you plan a trip and so on. And Because I, I think what, what happens too is sometimes for instance, Matt has made some suggestions that I wasn't crazy about. Like, he wanted to go like to the— Like getting married. <laughs> <laughs> but we did. But we did. Anyway. It's, it's working out all right. It's okay. <laughs> um, so, he, for instance, he wanted to go to the bison auction at Antelope Island State Park in Utah. Thank you. Right. And, you know, that w- certainly was never on my list, but, but he was so excited about it. So we went, and it actually turned out to be fantastic. So sometimes you just don't know— what's necessarily a good thing until you're there. And then the other thing I would suggest, so let's say your husband plans a trip, and I'm just going to use this for an example, and and he wants to go to the battlefields in the South. So, you know, quite possibly once you get his itinerary, you could look at some things that you're interested in in the same area, and you could sort of sandwich those in between the battlefield visits, and then, you know, you both kind of have some things that you both like to do. So are you giving me advice now? Just like, so, <laughs> I hope so you're paying attention. <laughs> really, my, my only chance of seeing my stuff is to like sandwich it in between That's the things right. you want to see. That's right. But, uh, but yeah, it's a tough one because we all want to see so much and, and the time is limited. But um, Along the same lines, I think the, the number one piece of advice I would give people is to, to the extent you can – Try not to have too many expectations Mm -hmm. about what that thing is you're either going to do or see, Uh, because sometimes we can build up those expectations so high that that you're disappointed. But also, some of the coolest things that we've done, we didn't plan on doing. Right, right. And uh, I think it's more important to find a place and a time to go have an itinerary mm-hmm. uh, that that's fine, but also be very open-minded when you're there to uh, change the plan if something cool comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, the other, the other thing that we've we try not to do is we try not to repeat or have the expectation that we're going to do the same thing the same way. Right. Because we'll have this fantastic experience in a park, and then we'll think, boy, we need to go back and do that again. And it's never going to be the same, uh, but something else fantastic might happen. It's just going to be different. Uh, so manage the expectations and uh, yeah. have an open mind once you're there. Mm-hmm. And compromise. I think that's and, the key. And compromise. <laughs> So Karen's that's Karen's going to work on our compromise. That's good. I'm glad. Do you have any other questions for us today? <laughs> any other marriage advice questions? No, I think that about wraps it up for today. Great. If you have a question for us, you can send us an email to mattandkarensmith at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. Go to facebook.com slash dearbobands, or you can find us on Instagram at Matt and Karen Smith. We'll review all the questions that come in, and we'll be answering some of them in our mailbag segment on future episodes. 
To see pictures from the Carlsbad Caverns, go to www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com and click on the title for Episode 7. There you'll find the show notes for this episode and links to other information. A huge thank you to all of you who've already given us such wonderful ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Matt and I appreciate it so very much. It really does help people find our show. You can also find our show on Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. The books that this podcast is based on are available on Amazon.com. Just search for Dear Bob and Sue. And you can also find more information about us by heading over to www.dearbobandsue.com. Our show is produced by the Miracle Workers at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. Our artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects, and our theme music is by Will West. And from this baby giraffe, I hope you all find the park that speaks to you. All right, we better end this episode now before you start crying again. (laughs) Thank you.